From Washington, this is Talking Tax. I'm Jeff Leon. No one enjoys paying taxes, of course, but some people go to extreme lengths to avoid them. On today's episode, we're going to be talking about a relatively new way of dodging taxes that involves a device called a zapper. Here's how it works. A retailer plugs one of these electronic gadgets into the register, and then it basically zaps a certain portion of the transactions, making them, basically, disappear. It's a really difficult scheme for authorities to police because, well, it's hard to audit revenues that, from your perspective, just don't exist. Richard Ainsworth is an attorney who specializes in tax law, and he's also an adjunct professor at Boston University and NYU. He's been researching the spread of tax zappers and has worked with numerous taxing authorities across the globe to try and combat them. Ainsworth spoke with Bloomberg tax correspondent Michael Bologna about how a zapper actually works and why other countries are way ahead of the U.S. in their fight against them. We trust technology. We probably shouldn't trust technology, but we do. And the auditors are the same thing as the rest of us. They go in and they see a cash register. It's got um, digital records of everything that happened in the restaurant. The inclination is to trust it. And particularly, you trust it if the numbers all tie together at the end of the day and that ties together to your tax return. So what this suppression technology does, and there's a number of different kinds of it, is it goes in and eliminates transactions and then reorders the data inside of the cash register or the POS system, which is a computer in the back room. It reorders it so that you can't particularly tell that uh, 10 hamburgers were sold, but only five were recorded. So I pay tax on five. I have gross receipts on five. And five other hamburgers just sort of disappeared on me. That's why it's a problem because we trust the technology. And what you alluded to this before, but what specific tax programs are affected by this type of fraud? Sales, income, excise, what? (laughs) My friend, there's a whole series of them. Uh, The ones we're looking at a lot of times are the sales taxes. But in the United States, sales taxes only go to about 10%. That's about as high as it gets here. But not only the sales tax, but the income tax is reduced because your gross receipts are reduced. Um, and that's going to impact your federal income tax and your state income tax, if your state has an income tax. Then you're going to pay your workers cash under the table. They're not going to report their wages that are earned. There'll be no withholdings to the IRS or the local government for the personal income tax. Um, And how prevalent is uh, tax zapping technology, and are there certain industries that are more prone to this sort of compliance hack than others? Well, Mike, we were talking about the auditing function that comes in when a fellow comes in and does an audit of the cash register. Um, The thing that he wants to do, aside from figuring out how much cash came in, is he wants to figure out where the cash went. So if you're in a business where your purchases are not tangible products, if you're not in a um, a department store where you purchase uh, 500 PlayStations and that's what you sell as your PlayStations, what you're doing is you're purchasing eggs and tomatoes and lettuce. Um, that's all perishable items. So the tendency, if you get the combination of cash plus a restaurant that has inventory that's perishable, that tends to be a target industry for this sales suppression because you can eliminate 
five hamburgers, and the reason you eliminated five hamburgers, you tell the auditor, well, they, the, the freezer, they were left out of the freezer, and they went bad, so we threw out all those hamburgers. But, but it's, it's conceivable, too, in uh, dry cleaners or groceries or uh, other types of cash businesses. Oh, absolutely. you just got to keep your eye out for can they possibly uh, eliminate their purchases. You could do it if you're going to sell tangible products, um, if, you could, if you could pay for cash for your products. So if somebody's going to purchase something uh, and he pays the person in cash, then the invoice isn't recorded anyplace. The digital trail is a little bit hard to follow. Uh, so it can happen in lots of different businesses. Uh, around the rest of the world, Michael, they've got a value-added tax, not just an income tax. So in a value-added tax, you're taxing everything from goods and services, and the rates are much higher. So if I'm in a value-added tax system where the rates, for example, in Poland can get to 25 to 27%, that's a big chunk of money that we're paying, and it's on goods and services. So it's on lawyers, it's on accountants, it's on all kinds of people providing personal services. So this is a huge problem outside the United States, where the tax rates are higher and the types of taxes that we're collecting are different. What, um, and what kind of revenue losses are we seeing in the United States as a result of this fraud? Now, this is a hard question, Michael. Uh, if, it's, if the money is gone, it's hard to tell how much money is gone. So the best I could do for estimates was to go to Canada, take a very good couple statistical studies that Quebec did on it, and compared the gross domestic product of Quebec with uh, the gross domestic product of states in the United States. So I said, if people in Quebec have the same amount of income roughly as the people in Massachusetts do, then roughly we're losing the same amount of money as Quebec is losing. But if we got a bigger population, then we should increase it by 50% or so. So my estimate was about $20 billion we're losing in the United States, just back of the envelope, rough guess, but based on a very good st- set of statistical studies out of Quebec. And how have the states traditionally responded to this type of fraud? Is this something that they can detect easily in an audit, or what's the response been? It's, it's tough because in order to do one of these audits, what you need, if you're going to do it by gumshoe, the old-fashioned type of audit where a guy walks in and actually looks at the books and records. If you're going to do it that way, you need somebody with you that's a tech person. You've got to have a forensic computer specialist or a data analyst with you. Those people cost a bit more than the auditors do, and now you've got not just one auditor to go in, you've got a team of three. As a result, what the states have been doing is when they f- happen to find one, then they get upset about it. But if they don't happen to find a zapper or a sales suppression device, they don't have the staff and the resources in order to do an effective audit. So they're ramping up, but it's expensive, Michael. Um, that's the problem. Um, this is a labor-intensive, technology-intensive, brainpower-intensive type of audit. And what have they done statutorily? They, 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 you've been seeing some more uh, laws come into effect. Oh, goodness, yeah. I've given talks on this thing back since uh, 2000, 2008. Uh, I'm trying to convince them that there's a problem. Step number one would be, is there a problem? We've convinced them there's a problem. Step number two is, do we have any laws on the books that you can do something about it with? And we started with Georgia uh, back in 2011, and uh, we now have 30 states that have a statute that specifically targets sales suppression devices. 
phantomware or zappers or specific things, and they're making it criminal. But uh, other countries have been uh, more proactive on this, and they're, they're actually using technical systems to uh, monitor this problem. Why don't you talk about that a bit? Okay, well, that's the fire with fire. You want to fight fire with fire, you need to fight technology with technology, Michael. So what most of the countries have done is looked into ways of mandating inside of the cash register an electronic monitoring system, a device that will give you trusted data, encrypt it, and preserve it. There's different ways of doing it. You can have a physical device that's on the side of the cash register. It gets a bit expensive to do it that way. The, the, the cutting edge right now, Michael, is uh, software. And what you can do is you can install inside of a system, require that it be there. Uh, do you have a cash register? Yep. Did you install the monitoring system in there? Yep. Okay, here's your business license. So you mandate that everybody that's involved in businesses, that's writing invoices, that's uh, selling items, install a monitoring device, and it'll just simply encrypt the data. Now, you can either keep the data there on location, which is what Quebec does, or you can require that the data goes back in real time immediately to the tax administration, which is a much more effective way of dealing with this problem because now I can monitor somebody on a regular basis, day by day, hour by hour. I can also do a remote audit. I don't have to send somebody out in an automobile to take two days in order to get there, perform the audit, and come back to the tax administration. Nope. I do the, most of the audit entirely digitally, online, remotely, back at the tax administration. Saves money, saves time, more efficient, more effective. That's the way, Michael, they do it in Rwanda. Because in Rwanda, sometimes you take a car, other times you got to ride a water buffalo in order to go do this audit out there. And, but they don't like to use that many water buffaloes. They'd rather have the data come in directly on the Internet. If you don't have an Internet connection, it flips over and sends it on a telephone line. If the system doesn't work, they will shut down your restaurant. I, I understand that Fiji is an interesting example. You want to run us through what they did there and then what the success has been? Oh, goodness. Fiji is a really nice example. It's an island, so it doesn't have any people running across the border. Everybody comes in on a boat. They require everybody. It's a value-added tax system. Everybody who issues an invoice or a receipt in the island must issue a receipt that has a QR code on the bottom of the receipt. It's totally digital. Every, all the data that's collected on every cash register goes back immediately to the tax administration in real time, faster than a credit card, and then the QR code is generated by the government, placed on the bottom of the, of the receipt, and um, then everybody can check that receipt, not for the numbers that are on the receipt, but whether it was valid and was recorded in the tax administration. I can walk up with an iPhone, scan the bottom of the receipt, and I say, yep, this receipt went into the government. The taxes have been paid, and the government knows about it. This now guy can't cheat on his income taxes or on his sales taxes because the government knows, and he knows right now. Now, the enforcement mechanism here is if you disconnect this machine, if you remove that uh, QR code from the bottom, the government knows that you did that today, They'll shut down your machine tomorrow unless you reconnect re up the machine. You've just made yourself an audit by disconnecting your, your monitoring device. Now, sometimes the power can go out and there's a reason for it. You have to explain it to the government, but the power can't go out every day. The power's got to go out on occasion. 
So it's an effective system for monitoring every business in the country, but you don't have to send people around every business in the country. So Fiji's like way ahead of everybody else. Plus, the QR code on the bottom of the receipt, if you scan it and prove that your taxes were paid to the government, you just got yourself a lottery ticket. And at the end of the month, they give away prizes to people who won the lottery. It makes it really interesting because everybody wants the right kind of receipt. Don't send, sell me this stuff in cash anymore. I want the lottery ticket. I want the QR code. Everybody enforces the government's. You've got auditors everywhere, Michael. Everybody wants the right receipt. Well, and, and what impact has it had on their uh, revenue collections and overall compliance rates? What happened in Fiji was they were going to install a monitoring system. So the first thing they did was they dropped the tax rate by 40%. That's really scary. The tax rate went down by 40%. The revenue went up by 20%. Now, it did take a little bit of time for the 20% to hit. So it took about nine months to, to a year before the revenue increased over what it used to be. But effectively, the, the citizen said, well, the tax rate went down, plus I have a lottery ticket, plus I know that guy's not cheating uh, the government anymore. I'm a happy camper. And the government's a happy camper because they've increased their revenue. So what's the, uh, the, the situation in the United States? If, if you can do this in Fiji and Rwanda, why, why can't we do this in the United States? Uh, Michael, um, <laughs> I'm not 100% sure. Um, but we have done it in one place in the United States. We've done it in the state of Washington. And what we did was we brought in the Fiji solution, the same sort of thing that you got in Fiji, you've got in the state of Washington. Now, the problem in the state of Washington is the way the statute works there is if you're a criminal, you have to install a monitoring system. If they catch you with this fraud device and you're going to go to jail. If you don't want to go to jail, you can keep running your restaurant, but you have to have a monitoring system. So it winds its way through the criminal system, and we're only into three or four restaurants in, in Washington. But is, do you sense that there's something sort of attitudinal about this country that makes um, either revenue agencies or, or consumers or businesses uh, reluctant to uh, go the whole nine yards? Or Michael, um, <laughs> The studies in Canada say 30% of the machines in Canada are, are suppressed with, uh, have the suppression fraud in there. When I went to Sweden, it's uh, 70, 80, 90% of the machines have got the fraud devices in there. We're, we're, we're into something where the fraud is so widespread, the cancer has so metastasized in the tax system that it's really difficult to root it out. So it's the politicians which seem to be afraid of mandating a solution that lots of places in the rest of the world have adopted. That was tax attorney Richard Ainsworth speaking with Michael Bologna. You can find up-to-the-minute news on the latest tax and accounting developments at our website, news.bloombergtax.com. That website, once again, is news.bloombergtax.com. And if you have any thoughts about what you just heard, or really anything else, get in touch with us on Twitter. We use the handle at tax. Talking Tax is produced by myself, Jeff Leon, and David Schultz. Patrick Ambrosio is our editor. From Washington, I'm Jeff Leon. Thank you for listening. The killers of Berta Caceres had every reason to believe they'd get away with murder. Her work as an environmental activist won her the admiration of celebrities in California, 
politicians in Washington, and the indigenous communities she worked alongside in Honduras. It also earned her powerful enemies. On a new podcast from Bloomberg Green, Blood River follows a four-year quest to find Berta Caceres' killers. Join journalist Monty Real and the team from Bloomberg Green as they untangle false leads and mishandled evidence, taking listeners deep into a sector of international development that's marked by high-level corruption and rampant violence. Blood River debuts Monday, July 27th on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Listen.